0: for letting me speak here today. We've had such amazing, amazing preachers, and uh, yeah, we've just had such a gift in that this, this, uh, during the sabbatical season for Pastor John. It's a real, real blessing for him to be able to take a sabbatical, take a break, uh, reconnect with, with his Heavenly Father, and I get a chance to see what it's like to, to run a church, which is terrifying, um, I'm not scared. Whatever. You can't prove it. Uh, so today, we are talking about prayer. And prayer is essential in our in our lives as Christians, as followers of Jesus. Uh, it's our primary means of communication with God. It is a way that we can truly imitate Jesus. As he prayed a lot, he taught us how to pray. And we'll be talking about that in a little bit. Um, but it's also one of the things that I am absolutely terrible at. I know, shock. I'm a pastor. Uh, I've been ter- I feel like I've been terrible at this for the entirety of my adult life. Um, and so confession time, if, uh, if someone were to do a performance review on me, I- I'm sure most of you who have jobs have had performance reviews. Mine typically look like, how's the youth group going? How, like, are you staying in budget? Are you raising up young leaders, I feel like if instead of asking those questions, if I was asked, how's your, how's your prayer life? Reading scripture? I, I would feel pretty nervous. Um, I'm actually really nervous on stage right now telling you this. Uh, and it's not because I don't pray. It's not, it's not because I don't value scripture. But it's because recently I felt very convicted. Um, I feel like I love people well. I feel like I, I, I enjoy talking and listening to others. I am pretty good at, at conversation. I like to think that I am, uh, am intelligent and am engaging and fun. Uh, and while all those are great and I feel like I, I use those well as a pastor, when it comes to prayer, I sometimes feel like my prayers are rote that they are, uh, they're lacking something. That I don't have the words to say to, to God, and it. Today we're praying, like we're we're talking about prayer, partly because it's something I feel completely unready for, unready, unprepared for, terribly bad at, um, but unquestionably called to preach on today. So, if you would just let, ironically, let me pray for us right now, and then we'll, we'll continue. <laughs> Father God, I pray that that these are your words that I'm speaking today. That as I felt convicted, as, I'm, as I share my vulnerability, God, as, as we talk about the things that you would have us to talk about, I pray that you are moving that you share with each and every person here what, what you would speak into their lives. Father, we, we ask that you are here, that you move, that you reveal yourself a little bit more to us every day. I pray that if there's any words that I would say that are not of you, that you, you cast them away. But God, I pray that, that I have been and will continue to be faithful to the word that you've given me. We love you. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ, and we pray. Amen. So, if you would, go ahead and turn to chapter 6 of the book of Matthew. Uh, this is where we'll be for, uh, for most of the, the morning. But G- Jesus is in the middle of a very famous sermon here. Uh, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. You might have heard of it. it this, is a, this is a text that we very rarely take all at once. Uh, we, we very rarely hear the, the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. Don't worry, we're not going to hear it all today because that's just too much. Not like we couldn't do it. It's just, I, yeah, you guys are great, not me. Um, it's just so packed with wisdom and truth that it, it's overwhelming sometimes when we when we hear this. But I think it's important to remember... These three chapters in the book of Matthew are one sermon. They're, it's not a bunch of little sayings that Jesus says, uh, and, and like just little nuggets. They are one cohesive sermon that he is giving to, to make a point. And I, I think that's important to bear in mind. We, we don't need to go into the whole thing today. I just wanted to draw our attentions to that, uh, because we will be talking about the, uh, the first two chapters a little bit. So in, in chapter 6, by the, by the time Jesus has started his sermon, news of him has traveled all across Galilee. It's traveled all across Israel. People know who Jesus is. They, they, they start gathering and following him because he has healed people. He is preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And so crowds gather and follow. And so Matthew five one tells us that Jesus, when he sees the crowds, he goes up to a, up a mountain with his disciples and starts to teach. But this isn't just a normal sermon that he's he's teaching. It starts out with probably the coolest hook I could ever think of. He starts with the he starts by by saying the beatitudes. These oxymoronical statements that are all like complete opposites. You would think. That it just doesn't seem to go together. Let me, let me go ahead and give you an example. He says, uh, let's see. He says, happy are people who are hopeless because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who are hopeless. Doesn't make sense to me, but you know, Jesus. Uh, so happy are the people who are hopeless because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who grieve because they will be made glad. Happy are people who are humble because they will inherit the earth. Happy are people who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be fed until full. Happy are those who show mercy because they will receive mercy. Happy are people who, are pure, pure, who have pure hearts because they will see God. Happy are people who make peace because they will be called God's children. Happy are people whose lives are harassed because they are righteous, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you, all because of me. Be full of joy and be glad, because you will have a great reward in heaven. After Jesus goes through these statements, he spends the the rest of the first half of his sermon talking about the law. And when we think of the law and Jesus, uh, at least kind of the way I was uh, I was brought up from late high school uh, to now, I think of I think of the law as like this this pinata. Let me see if I have a picture of a pinata. I do. I have a picture of a pinata, and Jesus is like Babe Ruth. And he just, like, lines it up, and all the candy flies everywhere. I pick up the candy because it's candy, you know. Um, But Jesus, when we think of Jesus and the law, we think of him kind of abolishing it. He he fulfills it is really the term that he uses. But oftentimes in, in Christian circles in the church, we just say, eh, the law, like, Jesus did away with legalism. He did away with just this, this need to follow the rules. But it, and while there's truth to that, if we really look at what Jesus says, there, there is there's a, a, a sense that Jesus is making the law harder. He actually makes it more difficult. If you don't believe me, uh, th- think about what he has to say about murder. According to Jesus, murder doesn't just happen when, y- you know, you murder someone. It happens when you hate someone, When in your anger. If you've ever called someone an idiot or a fool, how many times have I committed murder? According to Jesus, adultery doesn't just happen when you have sex outside of your own marriage. Adultery happens when you lust after another person when you desire them, when you, uh, when you commodify them in a way that is using them for, for your own sexual gratification. How many times have I committed adultery? Jesus goes on to tell the crowds that instead of retaliating against, uh, against your enemies, against someone that has harassed you, has harmed you, instead of retaliating against injustice with Justice with uh, with uh, violence with uh, punishment, execution, riots, whatever whatever the, the, the violence may be, instead of retaliating in violence in, in your own form of justice, respond in kindness, respond in mercy, respond in service to your oppressor that this could, be, uh, this could be a point on which I am misheard, misinterpreted, or misused. So please allow me to clarify. We as followers of Jesus are never to stop opposing injustice, corruption, or oppression. We are never to stop pursuing justice, fighting for justice, fighting for Freedom, true freedom. I mean, we are free Methodists. It's in our name. This is what we do. But the model that Jesus demonstrates is radically different from that of anyone who came before him. Instead of joining the Jewish rebels and zealots in their war against Rome, instead of calling down hosts of angels to defeat his uh, to destroy his, his enemy, his, his oppressors. Instead of ushering in the kingdom of God through conquest, Jesus says this. That this, is, this is important. You have heard it said, you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who, har- who harass you so that you will be acting as children of your father in heaven. He makes the sun rise on both the evil and the good and sends rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, just as your heavenly Father is complete in showing love to everyone, so also you must be complete. If you want to be complete, if you want to be whole, if you want to be fully human in a way that only Jesus is, you, you and I must love everyone. Not just the people that you want. Everyone. The difficult people. This means to, like to do this, we must pursue an end to injustice. We have to march for equality. We have to stand for and with those who stand alone. Even if you feel like they are not really your friends, not the people you want to associate with. They don't have the same Christian values. Love them. We we can't tolerate injustice in, in our world. Again, we are free Methodists. Freedom is core to who we are. So about midway through Jesus' sermon, in the midst of his assault on the religious institution that he is a part of, of his forefathers and foremothers, if we believe Jesus is God, the institution that he set up as God, in the midst of his assault on, on this institution, Jesus teaches the crowds how to pray. This is where we're going to be for the, for the rest of this morning. And this may seem unimportant or Uh, yeah, this may seem unimportant, but I'm here to tell you, this is of the utmost importance. This is the most important thing, at least in my opinion, that, that comes out of this text. This is the thing that binds all things together. Through this prayer, we learn who we are, who we are to be, how to communicate with God and with others. Through this prayer, we we learn how to live lives that glorify our God. And it was when when I started reading this prayer last week in preparation for this sermon that I realized that I've been praying wrong my entire life, my entire adult life anyway. And, And hear me, this isn't some elitist prayer. This isn't something that you have to be on the inside to know. This isn't words that Jesus teaches us Uh, to perform a magic trick and all of a sudden God is answering our prayers because we've prayed right. Good job. That's not it. This is accessible to everyone. You don't have to have graduated from seminary to talk to your Heavenly Father. You just have to start talking. But for some of us, some of us here today, coming up with those words is hard. Words can be hard, I know. I spent like 20 hours on this just trying to write the words down. Saying the words to God can be difficult. Finding the words for God can be difficult. Sometimes we, we, we have a hard time with prayer because it seems like God never answers. Or we feel like crazy people because we're, we're talking to ourselves. And so Jesus gives us this this, uh, this prayer that, that he teaches us, it's simple. It, it's, it's only a few lines long, and it's accessible to anyone and everyone. As a pastor, I get called on to pray a, a lot at, the, at family gatherings, at parties, at get-togethers, at these places that the only thing they actually know about me is that I'm a pastor. Like it, It's really funny to me because I don't know if you've ever been in this situation— Maybe you're the one that's done it to me. Who knows? But where you're at a party and you know that if the pastor weren't there, nobody would even think about praying before the meal. But because the pastor's there, all right, get in a circle. Hold hands. Awkward. Uh, I don't want to touch you. That's really what I'm thinking. Um, and, and then all of a sudden I get volunteered to pray. And, and this is, like, this is just what happens, and, and, and don't hear me say say this in a proud manner, like because I'm present, people return to the Lord, revival happens. <laughs> that's not it. Like it, the reason I'm telling you this is because if I'm honest, when people volunteer me to pray, like I feel an obligation. That's my that's my job. But if anyone, if if I didn't get volunteered. It would be the furthest thing from my mind. Praying in a group of people that maybe I know, maybe I don't. I'm, th- I'm telling you, you might fire me after this, prayer, or after this sermon, so who knows. Uh, but because this has become my role, th- because I'm a pastor, and I've been put in these situations, I- I've gathered some, some prayer scripts that I can whip out whenever I want, uh, impress people. They're typically short, sweet. Not really all that authentic, and and what I mean isn't that written out prayers or memorized prayers aren't authentic. Actually, in my experience, those are some of the most authentic, the the most moving, transformative, powerful prayers that I've ever experienced. Have been written out prayers, have been prayers that were prayed hundreds of years ago and left for us because not maybe maybe it's not because they work. Maybe that's not the right word but because there's something about it. There, we, we, we as a church have recognized that that prayer is special, just like this prayer is special. But what I actually mean when I say that my prayers weren't authentic is even though I said, dear God, in, at the beginning, my prayer wasn't addressed to God. My prayer was addressed to the people around me, the crowds, my audience. And Jesus had words for for people like me. Jesus, he he said, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in synagogues and on the street corners so that people will see them. When you pray, don't pour out a flood of empty words as the Gentiles do. They think by saying many words, they will be heard. We don't do this very often, um, but in just a minute, we're going to, say a prayer together. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer, and if you haven't said this before, the words will be on the screen. Uh, actually, I encourage everyone, use the words on the screen so we don't have people saying trespasses, and then other people will say debts, and other people are saying sins, and we can all be on the same page, just use the words on the screen. But we're, we're going to stand together at, as a church, not because it, it's, it's that has, like, standing is, is the, the power, but because as a church, We should do this in unison. We should do this in unity. So I'm going to ask everyone to go ahead and stand, please. You guys ready? Sweet. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed is your name. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us for the ways we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, guys. Thanks for doing that with me. I really wanted to do that with us as a church. Um, this This is the meat of our discussion today. Some of you may love what we're about to do. Some of you may absolutely hate me for this. But line by line, we're going to just kind of briefly go through uh, what we just prayed. Just to unpack it a little bit. Because by doing this, this is when I realized I had been praying wrong all along. So let's go ahead and take a look at the first line. Our Father who is in heaven. Right off the bat, there are two things that I noticed when I first started reading this, this prayer. Two words, our and father. And, and I think that this is, this is important because uh, in our individualistic society and culture, you'd think that Jesus would let us say my father or my mother or whatever pronoun you choose to use. You'd think that we're allowed to say my. But Jesus doesn't let us get away with that. He, he teaches us to pray and he says our Father. I think that this is, this is a great reminder that you and I are not alone. And not that we just have this, this local church here and now, but through Jesus, through his power, we have access to billions of people who have prayed this prayer throughout history. We have access to the entirety of the church. And so even when you are in the solitude of your room, Praying alone, you, you are not alone. And what makes this not creepy, but beautiful and hard, is that calling God Father carries an implied sense of closeness, right? Like, at least it's implied. But the reality is that when we join with billions of other people in this prayer, there's bound to be some daddy issues. There's bound to be some, some hurt and anxiety. Whether it's because there's been abuse, neglect, like divorce, uh, broken trust, abandonment, whatever issue it was that, that hurt this relationship, some people here might find it difficult to, to call God Father. And that's okay. What, what we're, it's okay because God as Father. We don't address him in that way because we have a good experience being children of fathers. We don't, we don't pray that because we relate God to our father, and like God, or the, our father determines who the father is. I don't pray to God as father because I have a good dad. I pray to God as father, I address God as father because he is. He is the good dad. He's the one by which all human fathers are judged. He's the standard. Hallowed is your name. Hallowed is your name. Holy is your name. Great is your name. To hallow God's name is to revere it as something that is holy, as something that is special, that's set apart It's not mundane. It's not ordinary. God's name is consecrated. And when we hallow the Father's name, we are committing to living lives of prayer. We're committing to living lives of holiness that are committed to our Father. This can be done by any and everyone. Again, you don't have to be a pastor to to pray this prayer. All you have to do is know, the name, know who, who you're talking to and what name you're saying. That's it. You don't, there's nothing special uh, that you have to do before you pray, before you communicate with your God. So before we get to this next line, I'm going to warn all of our patriots, all, of the, all, all people who have an aversion to anything political, Jesus' next statement is offensive. It's political. And it's treasonous. Let's go ahead and read it. Bring in your kingdom. Let me say this again. Bring in your kingdom. If you're not offended by this statement, let me say it one more time for you. Bring in your kingdom kingdom. If you pray this prayer with me, I don't know what else to tell you except be prepared to get arrested, thrown in Guantanamo, and watch as they throw away the key. Because we are taking powerful and direct action against the powers of this world. Stanley Harvoss, uh a really well-known and well-respected Bible scholar, he, he has this to say about, about Jesus' prayer. He says that those who pray this prayer pray that the kingdom come because they have become part of that kingdom. The devil left Jesus after failing to defeat him in the desert, but the struggle continues. So Jesus teaches us to pray for an end to the kingdoms of this world, dominated by sin and the power of death. This prayer is only, only possible because we live in between the times of Jesus' initial victory over sin and death, and his final victory where the the Father's kingdom comes. We live in between those times, and this prayer affirms that we believe Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So, say this with me. This This is the core of what we as followers of Jesus believe. Say it with me. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Say it one more time. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Amen. In this prayer, we announce to the world our treason, and we're only three lines in. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I have to remind myself that all the time that Jesus prayed this prayer to, to say your will be done is really hard. Especially if you find yourself to be an indecisive control freak. Does it make sense? It, it will. I have three questions. Do you ever have a hard time making decisions? You can answer maybe? No? I'm the only one? All right. Do you ever have a hard time making decisions and just wish that someone else would make the decision for you? I do. Do you ever have a hard time making decisions and wish someone else would make the decision for you, but then get mad at them for making the wrong decision? Yes. You are an con- uh, indecisive control freak just like me. Um because obviously there's a wrong decision that you know, and they don't. And of course they choose the wrong decision, so you get mad. Um, the, if, if you are like me, if you answered no to all those questions, then you're a saint. Uh, but for me, this is the hardest part of this prayer. This part where I have to say, God, your will be done. To pray that God's will be done is to pray that our wills be taken to school by God. That we learn to desire that his will be done. We aren't just saying words here. We are training ourselves to truly desire that God's will be done in place of our own. Because if our wills wills are done, the will of the world, we'll nail Jesus to the cross again. We are training ourselves to desire that God's will be done in place of our own instead of our own because our will will nail Jesus to that cross. Give us the bread we need for today. So right now, I'm actually going to go back to Stanley Harvoss because he says everything I want to say, but better. So I'm going to read what he says in his commentary on on this text. Just as God supplied Israel daily with bread in the wilderness, so followers of Jesus have been given all they need in order to depend on one another on a daily basis. Without the community that Jesus called into existence, we are tempted to hoard, store up resources in a vain effort to ensure safety and security. Of course, our efforts to live without risk not only result in injustice, but also make our own lives anxious, fearing that we will never have enough. In truth, we can never have enough if what we want is the bread that the devil offered Jesus. But Jesus is good news to the poor because he has brought into existence a people who ask for no more than their daily bread. I don't know about you, but I can't remember the last time that I prayed just for the bread that will sustain me that day. Let's take this as literal as we can. If we're just praying for bread, the bread for today, that's not even like a full loaf. That's like that much. I've, I don't think I've ever prayed that. But we've talked about love and how love requires us to pursue an end to injustice. But we can't pursue an end to injustice with one hand and hold up the system of injustice with the other. As long as there's wage inequality, as long as opportunities for education, work, advancement for women and people of color exist, as long as, as we, the church, seek after more than just our daily bread, inequality, injustice will exist. And I'm not claiming that we can solve all the world's problems and every inequality here. But as followers of Jesus, we cannot shirk the call to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Forgive us for the ways we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. As I was re- reading this, I, I was thinking about the, the two ways that I, I tend to think about this. One is purely in a psychological hurt feelings kind of way where I forgive someone after they've, they've hurt me. And the other is a kind of a purely transactional way that Jesus talks, kind of uses as his illustration where, uh, where a moneylender or a ruler lends someone money and then forgives the debt. And in the first way of thinking, we, talk, we can talk about hurt feelings, broken friendships, gossip, adultery... Uh, things you can't quite quantify or put a number on, but they're just as real as this table in front of me. I actually think about my, my bestie from high school quite a lot. Uh, we, we had a huge falling out in our senior year, and that lasted from senior year to well after I finished college. Um, and senior year of high school. And I lost, I, like, I lost touch with a lot of friends during that season, but this was a broken friendship. This wasn't just we lost touch. This was a broken relationship that I felt acutely. Like, this was the dude that I would go into work and, like, just to pick up something, and everyone would ask, hey, where, where's, where's Tim? And I would be like, what? Like, why do you think I would know? Because you're always with him. Yeah, he's in the car outside. Um, like, we were always together. We, we had a really good friendship, and we all of a sudden had a falling out. And I remember a few years after, a few years ago, I wrote him a, a letter of apology, just apologizing for my role in our broken friendship. And a few few weeks later, he wrote, wrote a letter back. Um, he sent a letter back uh, just offering forgiveness and asking for, for forgiveness as well. That friendship is still in the process of being reconciled. That friendship is still in the process of being healed. But I was able to do that only because this is, if only this is the, the one little piece of this prayer that I truly understood from the day I became a Christian, the day I chose to follow Jesus. Because I, I, I had to recognize for that moment to happen that I am forgiven by God. And because I'm forgiven by God, I can offer, seek and offer forgiveness to others. Let me say that again. Because I am forgiven by God, I can seek and offer forgiveness to others. This gets harder, though, when money's thrown into the equation, right? I, I recently was in this situation where I, I had to give all, all my, my entire savings to, uh, to someone I know uh, with the promise of repayment, but this caused me a huge amount of anxiety, a ton of fear. Uh, this wasn't just numbers on an ATM screen. This was all my money. That, that money represented my next meal. The car I had to pay off this month. The school loans that I'm, I'm paying off, the, the school I'm hoping to go to in the future, it, it represented a home, kids, my entire future. That money represented all of that. And, and so I'm ashamed to say that I asked for that money back. Uh, I asked for the repayment. Probably causing just as much stress and anxiety and fear in the person that, that uh, asked, asked for that, that money as I was feeling. But what would it have looked like if I had, for, if I had forgiven that, that debt? What if I had forgiven that debt freely? I'm still alive. I haven't missed a meal. I would probably feel even less anxiety about getting the money back because I forgave it. Je- the thing is, Jesus doesn't teach us, uh, doesn't tell us that to forgive or give out of our own excess. He just teaches us to pray for forgiveness in the same measure that we, that we forgive others. If I only pray that God forgive me as much as I forgive other people, I'm damned. And don't lead... Don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Again, we'll take this last part in two lines because it's... It's not easily taken apart. Uh, this finale to our prayer is simply a petition to God, a request that God deliver us from, uh, not, not lead us into temptation, and deliver us from the evil one, our enemy, our, our, our former master. Scripture tells us that before we experienced freedom in Christ, we were un- unknowingly slaves to the enemy, to the devil. the fight against this evil one, the one that, that we're praying for deliverance from, this fight is the fight of bitterness and greed. It's the same fight uh, against oppression and injustice. It's the same fight against the powers of this world. And it's a fight we can't win alone. This doesn't mean we get to stop fighting, but we have to fight with the knowledge that the evil one can't outlast our Father. That the kingdoms of this world cannot stand against the kingdom of heaven. And this same kingdom will one day come in full, will join with heaven, heaven and earth, and it will cover to stretch it will stretch to cover all of creation. All of creation will be part of this this kingdom of heaven. That's that's what we as followers of Jesus believe. But until that day our job is to fight and to pray, as citizens of God's kingdom. So I'd like to invite Adjoa and the band to come back up. Uh, Adjoa will will read a poem that she wrote during this message, um, and it, you might be thinking like, "There's no easy bow ribbon. Like, there's nothing for me to do after this sermon." I'd say there is. Take the next. Uh, take the next. Song, or the next 10, 20 minutes, the next day, week, month, year. Take that time and invite others into prayer with you. Again, we can't do this alone. We have a Heavenly Father, but he's given, the, he's given us a great gift in a really, really solid church, and a good family, in people that we can approach with prayer. I'd encourage you guys, pray, seek prayer, seek after your brothers and sisters here. On the connection cards, there's a place where you can ask for prayer. There's not a lot that I'm telling you we need to do right now because I really think in, in our prayers, God will convict us. God will call us. God will empower us and teach us how to how to enact his will. So once Adwa uh, reads her poem, we'll, we'll have one last song. And so, if you haven't already, I'd, I'd really encourage you, fill out your connection cards, uh, prepare your tithes and offerings, and please share with us a, a prayer request. Um, we, we'd love to pray with you. That, that's, again, that's why we're here. That's, it's more than just my role now. I, I've realized how bad I am at prayer, and my constant request is that, I, that God empower me to be better, to, to focus on him, to understand what, what it is I'm actually saying. So please, let me go ahead and pray for us and we'll conclude the service with with our last song. Our Father who is in heaven, who adopted us and welcomed us into your family, hallowed is your name, the name by which we live, the name by which we are called, ordained, and made to be more like your son. Bring in your kingdom. We pray this treasonous prayer against the powers of this present world that your kingdom come We pray with eager anticipation to live fully in the kingdom of our true citizenship. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We surrender our wills to you to learn and be changed. Cause us to desire your will above all things. Remove our voices from the crowd shouting to crucify him. Give us the bread we need for today. Help us to walk in trust, knowing that you will provide like you did for the Jews in the wilderness. Do a work in us and let us be a congregation who does justice and loves mercy. Use us to tear down systems of oppression and inequality. Forgive us for the ways we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. Don't let us settle for cheap grace. Anything less than true forgiveness for each other Because you didn't offer cheap grace to us. Let it hurt. Let it be uncomfortable. Let us participate in your son's death on a cross as he cried out, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. We recognize that we can't win the fight alone, so stand with us. Teach us, empower us, exhort us, encourage us, and help us to stand firm until the day your kingdom comes. For yours is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever.